the problem is for me is I didn't learn about the ability to save this much on taxes while investing until about five years ago. So for me, it's sort of my mission to bring this to the average person that doesn't know about it. We're, we're sort of making this our mission is to allow people to understand better how to invest and save on taxes at the exact same time. You can't put money into the stock market and watch your stocks go up and get a K-1 loss. It doesn't work that way. It only works on hard assets like real estate. Listen, too many of us spend most of our waking hours working hard for our money and have little time left to figure out how to make our money work hard for us. We default to handing our savings off to advisors who make their livings off our assets while we wait until 65 to enjoy any of the benefits. The problem is we need a quick way to gain the knowledge to take back the reins on managing our money while avoiding the misleading media or just straight bad advice. My goal is to give you all my knowledge, full-time research, and connections in a distilled version so we all can make our money work harder for us. This show focuses on ways you can take back control and intelligently invest outside the stock market to benefit your life today as well as into retirement. I'm Brian O'Neill. And welcome to the Harder Working Money Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Harder Working Money Podcast. We have a guy I've met for about a year now on the podcast, Mike Guthrie with Pacific Capital. And he's a cool dude that has a good business background story, what you definitely want to talk about. Welcome on the podcast, Mike. Hey, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So our last 10 or 15 podcasts, I've been focusing a lot on people in real estate and I wanted to get a little more niche down to what, where I'm coming from the last few years ago, which is business owners that have found some success and now trying to figure out what do I do next, basically. So you have a really good backstory and you started as an x-ray tech, I believe, and then you started an ATM company. So I was hoping you could just give listeners sort of where you were five or 10 years ago when the ATM company was doing well, but you weren't like Scrooge McDuck yet you know, diving into a, a pile of money and you were trying to figure out, you know, what do I do next? So what was your life like five or 10 years ago when your ATM company was doing well? Like, how'd you get there? And you can just kind of tell us how you got into ATMs even. Wow. So, uh, yes, I, I did x-ray and MRI. I was in the military and got out of that in 1994. And, uh, we started in a, our ATM company in 1996. We bought our first ATM on my wife's credit card. She ended up being the president of the company because of that, because we were only boyfriend, girlfriend at the time. And over the next 27 years, we've grown that from one ATM to a little over 8,000 units, all organically, no acquisitions. So we support a ton of other smaller ATM companies. That's what we've been doing. About five years ago, we or actually about 10 years ago, we started doing a lot of mobile events and we figured, okay, we'll do these mobile events that'll rate, that'll increase our income and we'll take all the money from the mobile events and we'll start putting it away in a 401k or some sort of retirement vehicle so that we will be able to retire at a decent age because we really hadn't been saving or doing a lot of that during that time. We were just running and the keeping the business running, earning a little bit of money and enjoying ourselves, but not really preparing ourselves for the future. So about 10 years ago, we started doing a lot of mobile events, uh, saving up a lot of money. What, what does that mean? What does that mean, mobile? So we had ATM machines that we put in like a little, if you want to call it a aluminum portable telephone booth that we put these in, advertisements on the side, little uh, neon signs at the top. And we'd 
provide those to street fairs, uh. actual fairs, concerts, any venue that would pop up on like a Thursday and tear down on an end of day Sunday. A lot of people would gather for the weekends and uh, they just actually started to make really good money. So we did that nonstop every summer up until COVID where we'd work like 120 days straight with really no time off. Wow. Yeah. I was just at an event this weekend and there was an ATM sitting over in the corner and plugged in with a cellular connection, I think. And people lined up because all the water trucks and the people that were servicing the, the venue, because you, you, could, you could camp there, only took cash. So there's just, I can't imagine how much money went through that machine. And I'm pretty sure the fees were, were higher than normal, but it's the only machine that was out there. So that's interesting. Okay. Absolutely. Providing convenience of cash wherever you're at. So you mentioned that you were putting money into 401k and and your business. I think that's a common spot business owners get where, okay, now I'm making some money. I'm doing well, doing well enough to, you know, be comfortable. But th then they start just, what do I do with this money? I'm putting it in my business or I'm going to put it in a 401k. That's kind of, I'm just kind of spinning my wheels now. It's running, it's making money, but do I reinvest it and grow the company or, you know, you start getting advised because you don't really, in my opinion, a lot of business owners you're not thinking about retirement or savings or investing when you're starting your business. You're just thinking about surviving and just reinvesting and dumping that money back in the company, back in the company. And that's what I was doing. I, I had friends that are dentists, you know, they're, they're doing the financial advisor and they're putting a certain percentage in every year. And I, I felt as a business owner, I was behind. Like I knew my company was growing, but I, I felt that I was behind on like the retirement side. Like I know I should be like saving money and investing it, but I just keep plowing it back into my company because that's my retirement. But then it grows and you're like, well, crap, everything's in this company. I got to make sure it doesn't die. I don't know. Did you feel that you were in that spot at any point? Absolutely. I felt like we were doing super well, but I didn't feel like I was setting ourselves up for the, for the, the future, for retirement. And growing up as a kid, I'd always told my mother I would retire at age 50. Today I'm 55 and I think I'm there uh, because we've done really well. We've exited. We don't really have to do anything else for work at this point in time. So now it's more, what, what are we doing to just enhance our current lifestyle? But yeah, 10, 12 years ago, no idea how I was going to get to where we're at today. Uh, we kept over the first uh, part part of the business reinvesting in the in the in the business, keep growing it, re reinvest, grow, and we were living pretty good, but we weren't really preparing ourselves for uh, what was what was to come. Yeah, exactly. Living well, but what's the exit? So did did you come up with an exit plan? Like, what was the next step? I'm going to sell this thing. I'm just going to I'm going to run it until I retire, and just I'll figure it out then. That's that's interesting. You say that we we started really uh, putting as much money away per year as we possibly could legally because our tax bill was so high. So it, the more we could put away, the less tax we would have to pay. So we started maxing out four hundred one k. We actually started what was called a defined benefit plan or a pension plan for ourselves, which allowed us to put another. 25 to 30% of our in income away tax-free. So we actually had a 401k and a defined benefit plan to mitigate taxes, but still that wasn't enough. I kept still having to pay the IRS mid six figures. And it was a lot of money to be given away every single year just because we were making good money. And I never could see myself, uh, how am I going to get out of this hamster wheel and actually get to retirement? So we started we got our retirement funds up to a certain level and then we decided, hey, let's start looking at what's next for us. And we always thought 
probably similar to you. I'm going to run this thing till it runs in the ground because everybody was always telling us cash is going away. There, you, there's never going to be a need for an ATM anymore. And in the next five, 10 years, we wouldn't even be using cash. And what's funny is today, there's actually more cash on the street, more ATM transactions happening than ever before. And I never thought that was possible. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I heard about the ATM business maybe five or six years ago, and that was that was the, the the negative side of oh, don't get into that, you know, because they're they're exiting because cash is dying, and you know you're buying into a you're catching a falling knife. Um, obviously, that hasn't come true. <laughs> no. And at the event I was at this last weekend, there was a lot of cash still flowing around. Okay, so I kind of had the same thing. I I started looking outside traditional investments when my tax bills were just starting to get bonkers in California. And my CPA was, he basically, he's like, oh, let's do tax planning. And I would call him and he basically just prepared me for how much I had to pay. Um, yeah, stuck with him still until I joined the groups that we're in. I realized that CPAs are not all the same. Did your CPA start advising you like, hey, you need to look outside what you're doing and get into something that has more depreciation or was it the other way around? It was the other way around. We actually told him, and when we actually got into multifamily real estate and, and investing as a limited partner, because I wanted to learn it from the inside out. So I figured if we put money into people's opportunities, we could actually get, get them uh, to give us answers to a lot of the questions we had in regards to that investing. And we actually shared the this information with our current CPA at the time. And he's like, oh yeah, um, that whole investing in multifamily and the depreciation uh, really works great against your taxes. And it's been getting a lot of traction over the last 10 years. And we were just like mind blown. We're like, you've known about this for 10 years. I'm bringing it to you. And you're saying, oh, that's a great idea. I've been paying you forever to advise me, not me advise you. And so literally, and what the, the, the funny, funny, funny part, he was my neighbor. He lived oh. two doors down from me in the same development and we had to let him go because he was not the right, he was the right guy to get us to a certain level, but he wasn't the right guy to take us to the next level. Yeah, it's a perfect statement because like I would say my guy was the perfect guy for a simple, traditional business, small business that doesn't have, a, you know, a lot of assets and you're not, you're not really in that high tax brackets. So you're kind of just wandering down here and you're doing kind of the standard stuff, um, and that's what he's sort of used to and did a lot of personal returns and not business returns. And then once we started getting more complex and I really noticed it during COVID because COVID basically blew the minds of all your CPAs and your tax people because all the tax stuff that came out. And that's when I realized that like, oh yeah, this is a lot of work for a certain CPA firm. And I would say it's not that they're bad people. They just, you know, they have to specialize and they choose to specialize in in the basics or you can specialize in some of these advanced areas. So yeah, that's interesting. So now you're on to moving into a new CPA, you're going more advanced, you're investing in things that have depreciation. Where do you go from here now? We actually exploded in the depreciation side. We The, the good news is we had a lot of income. The bad news is we had a lot of income. So we had to figure out how to actually place it appropriately. So we actually started getting into multifamily quite heavily. I think my first four, I'm in 29 deals at this point in time, but I think my first four or five, I put $50,000 a piece into them, getting to know the sponsors and the, the syndicators that are doing the opportunities. And I was like, 
this is going to take forever to deploy the capital we needed to deploy. So then we bumped it, we doubled it. We go, okay, we'll put in a hundred thousand dollars. And that was probably good for the next four or five deals. And then it, that just really wasn't getting it done. I'm like, I'm going to have 90,000 deals. Not, I mean, that's just exaggerating a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. have so many deals to monitor and so much stuff to track. So we just, we continued to level up our investments and that's when people came to us and we'd gotten to how we'd been doing this for a little bit people gotten the knowledge about how these things actually work and how they function and that's when some people came to us and asked us to actually be general partners and syndicate with them and help them raise some money and they figured if we have this kind of money to put into deals maybe we know some people that could put money into deals also and help raise that those funds and become a general partnership. So not only are you making a little bit of money on the limited partner side, putting money, your money in, I was making money on the general partner side and it was actually eradicating my complete tax bill. I have not paid federal income tax for the last three years in a row. And I'm hoping this is going to be year number four. Okay. And to clarify to business owners that are listening and things like that, Mike, likely holds a real estate professional status, which basically means his primary job is in the real estate industry. It doesn't mean he's a realtor, but it means that his primary duties and what he does for you know his job is in the real estate side of it. It's a simplified way of putting it. You know, If you're the bu main business owner of your business, you can't also be a real estate professional status. So Mike, do you mind just mentioning how you work that some people some people do it with they have their wife become the person that manages their investments or in the real estate you you guys did something similar to that but the opposite i think we we certainly did and i i think we've had this conversation before but yes we were both making great salaries on our atm company and for me to become a real estate professional i needed to make more money in the real estate side and spend more time there and since my wife was the president of the company we just moved my salary to hers took me to zero, eliminated me from the payroll of the ATM company, and I became the real estate professional. So all of my K-1 losses as a real estate professional offset my wife's active income. And when I mean active, like W-2 income, my losses actually work that way because I have the designation of a real estate professional. And almost anybody can. And there's a number of my investors who's, who had their, their stay-at-home wives while their husband's out making a, a, a bunch of money and they've become real estate professionals also so that their limited partnership re participation in multifamily is offsetting their own home, their own taxes at their own home level. Yeah. And so to, to clarify it, I mean, obviously you, you said it pretty well, but to, to go to a sixth grade level, basically if you have a W2 income, that's your active income is your active job. And tax code basically says, that if you do investments, that's passive. So if you have passive losses, which doesn't mean you're actually losing money, but it means some depreciation flowed down from your investments, that you can't take that negative depreciation on your passive income and have it negate your positive income on your active side for most people, except for real estate professionals. It doesn't mean that if you don't have real estate professional status on you or your spouse that it can't help you it just means that any of those losses, paper losses that you have on your investment side can only kind of offset any gains you have on your passive side. So if you have an investment that makes money and you have another investment that has a paper loss, they can wash each other out on taxes, but it's not going to affect your W-2 income unless you you get a, a good CPA and you plan it out right and you make sure you, uh, you 
have the uh, proof that you are a real estate professional to get that status with, with the uh, the IRS. And it's a, it's a good status to get. You got to make sure that you do it legit, legitimately because they will look at it and make sure you're actually a real estate professional. But it's definitely a, a thing that if you're going to invest with a lot of paper losses, it's a great way to offset active income if you're still running your business or have a W-2 or a, a wife or husband that has that. So that's that's what I learned about as well about a year ago, and I've been pushing hard to get to there as well and banking a bunch of <laughs> actually paper losses uh, to pull forward with me, but we won't go too deep in the taxes on that kind of stuff. That's, so Yeah, I always say just talk to your CPA. Yeah, yeah, and talk to your, you know, if your CPA is like, oh, yeah, don't do that. You'll just get audited. You probably should talk to another CPA because you want a CPA to say, well, this is how you do it. This is where you're currently at. This is where you need to go to get there. If they just kind of brush you off, I would I would talk to someone else because you need someone that's going to tell you maybe, hey, you don't qualify right now, but if we do this, this, and this, then you will qualify. That's the kind of person you want to be talking to that's going to guide you into into it because it's a huge savings, especially if you're investing in anything in real estate. But real estate for sure has a lot of passive losses, which any business owner I think listening to this understands what that, that is. They do taxes in the year. They understand that they go to their CPA and their tax guy and you get all these depreciation, you know, lo losses that come off your books at the end of the year. I always found it funny. I was like, oh, I made this much money. And I would go to my tax guy and he'd redo my books with all this depreciation. I was like, oh, I guess I did. On paper, I didn't make as much money as uh, I know I did. I never, I always left it to them to figure out the depreci depreciation and amortization and all that kind of stuff. Um, I kind of hope he was doing it right now, knowing some of the things yep. that I caught. Um, okay, so we talked a bunch about business. Mike is a definite business owner. had very good success as ATM business, but it's still just a business that started with one ATM machine and he grew it. So I think a lot of business owners can relate to that. Why not just sell this thing, cash out, and retire? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what you sold it for, but I can't imagine 8,000 ATMs, whatever it was, isn't worth a lot of money. Why not just be done. The problem is for me is I didn't learn about the ability to save this much on taxes while investing until about five years ago. So for me, it's sort of my mission to bring this to the average person that doesn't know about it. So we're sort of making this our mission is to allow people to understand better how to invest and save on taxes at the exact same time. You can't put money into the stock market and watch your stocks go up and get a, a K-1 loss. It doesn't work that way. It, it only works on hard assets like real estate. And what, what, what I do know about real estate, if it goes up 30% and it corrects itself down 10%, you're still up a net 20% and it's gonna continue to go back up again. So even though you can take the loss this year, it, real estate continues to grow at a rate sometimes even better than the stock market. And you might go, oh, well, I did really good in the market. Yeah, but you're going to pay taxes on all that gain where you don't have any losses to offset some of that. So it's not about what you gained, it's how much do you get to keep. And so as a business owner, there's there's been so much education that I've learned over the last few years regarding uh, investing in multifamily real estate and even triple net commercial leases that can really help you down the road to continue to grow your net worth and your wealth that you can't just get by investing in a standard 401k in the stock market. Yeah, and as you get older, like to pull my dad into it a little bit, he has a lot of investments he did outside his 401k and IRA just 
in his standard cash account, and they've grown very well. He has a lot of it in Apple, and I don't think he would care if I said on this that he's afraid to sell it because of the tax reasons. He has he, it grew great, but he's like, man, if I cash this, if I I don't want this much in Apple anymore. Basically, I think he's, he's thinking. But as soon as I sell that. I have this huge tax bill that's going to hit me. So he's he's sort of frozen, even though he's retired now. And there's, probably, I'm sure, plenty of money sitting there. Taxes are the biggest expense we'll experience in our financial life. Yet it's one of the things that we probably spend the least amount of time getting knowledge on and shop around to save a thousand or two thousand bucks on a CPA that may be more aggressive and more advanced. I think it's when someone pointed that out, I was like, you know, it really is true. It really is. I think it's put into our head that you can't really do anything about it and it's kind of just well it is what it is and there you know you have a home office exemption some, some small little things you can do there's not much you can actually do but if you have excess income basically you know that you know you're going to invest in something your business or retirement accounts or something that's what the money you should be focusing on is how can i leverage that to get the best tax advantage and i think that's what i've learned as well in this group is that it really is any asset investment that has tax advantages basically the government wants you to put money into it and has depreciation attached to it and you can you can turn it quicker like these like my dad would be a perfect example it's been sitting in apple for a long time but there's no way he can really pull it out and not get hit with those taxes where in real estate there's a lot of depreciation and recapture and 1031s all kinds of different ways you can maneuver the tax code and it's worth learning about so there's a way to just start stepping some of it out so he can actually see the benefit of what he did years and years ago by investing in Apple. And yes, it's probably he's, he's going to have a capital gains tax. But the one thing my CPA told me when I pulled all my money out of my 401k and put it in a multifamily, he goes, it's better to pay the tax a little bit of tax today if you don't get enough K1 loss than tomorrow because the tax rates are never going to go down. They're only going to continue to go up. So it's going to be cheaper today than it will be tomorrow to start pulling some of that those funds out. So that's not advice from me, but that's advice from my CPA. And the one thing I always I always like to ask them, like, can I can I write this off or can I do this? I go, I my question to my CPA is how? How do we write this off? Because this is what I want to do. How are we going to structure it so that I can write off what I'm doing? I mean, I'm here on, I'm on vacation, but I'm working. So this vacation rental that I'm sitting in is now a business expense. So I can go on vacation and I write off my vacation because I'm actually doing a little bit of work here. That's how the, the wealthy continue to get wealthier is they figure out ways to how to make their basic life experiences a tax reduction. So there's all sorts of ways to do it. You just got to ask your your CPA, how, not can I, but how do we do it and how do we do it the right way so that we can actually write this whole thing off? Yeah. How, how do you write it off? How do you document it? How do you pay for it? What do I need to kind of keep track of? I think some people have this fear of, oh, if I get audited. Well, if you're doing it right, the way your CPA said to, there shouldn't be a lot to really worry about if for some reason they come sniff, sniffing around asking, hey, what's with these these VRBO rentals, be like, well, here's the receipt is on my company. Here's the notes. Here's the podcast I did. Here's my calendar showing what I was doing. Like your CPA will give you a, a plan of how you sort of just structure things. So if anyone comes asking, you know, you can, you, you can prove it. You shouldn't not do it for that reason. I think that's what probably the IRS has kind of put in everyone's head is, is don't even attempt to use the tax code aggressively at all, because we're going to come knocking when realistically 
I mean, the people I know that have ever been audited, they're super sloppy. They're doing illegitimate stuff and they get caught. Most people that I, I've know that maybe got audited, they just, you know, they asked about meals and entertainment expenses and they showed them all the receipts and the name of who they talked to is on it and the IRS went away because they knew there was nothing there to go digging. It's the people that put planes and, you know, Jaguars and all these cars and whatever, you know, onto their taxes, which, which you can totally do, but they do it the wrong way and then get caught. Um, yeah, so we could do a whole segment on taxes and I, I'm going to bring a CPA on here, some, an aggressive CPA on here at some point to, to go over these things. But the point is business owners, if you got 50 grand that you're making above your living expenses and things you want to do and you're like, I don't want to put it in my business anymore, start investing it in things that are tax advantaged and it's basically going to have to be real estate or oil and gas is one as well that I do. But stocks and stocks aren't getting you any advantages. I don't want to push my tax burden forward. Imagine what it's going to be like for me in 25 years with taxes, with the way things are going with the debt. Like it's going to be a disaster, basically. And they're going to go after anyone that has any money. And do you really think that your Roths are going to be protected in 25 years? They could pass a law and completely remove that. So I don't know. I, to me, I'd rather pay taxes now. It's my money. It's my my assets and going forward than pushing it forward. But that that's just my opinion. But all depends how you how you think the economy is going to go but trajectory basically it's not economy excuse me that the financial system money supply it's been this isn't a new thing it's funny in uh i remember being in high school in an economics class or a social studies or something like that and they showed the national debt and they had the graph and it went it like peaked way like 20 years down the road and i was like oh well we'll never we'll fix it before we get there and literally it is now, and it's exactly what they thought 20 years ago was going to happen because they haven't done anything to fix it. So we're getting totally sidetracked here. But so now let, let's talk about what Mike is doing now. So, okay, I had to jump in here real quick. I hope you're loving this interview as much as I am. To get all our content and stay up to date, make sure you follow us on social media under Brian underscore O'Neill underscore investor on Facebook and Instagram. And also remember to follow this podcast if you're listening to an audio. And if you're on YouTube watching the video, make sure you subscribe to this channel. Okay, back to the interview. You have people come to you, business owners. What sort of assets right now are you raising money for? What's the pain points people that invest with you come to you as? Are they like, hey, I just really need to get my taxes down or I need to put this money somewhere. What do I do with it? Like, what What's the biggest draw for people that are giving you money to put into these investments? And then where are you, where, where are you advising people to put it? Like what deals are actually working? So the biggest draw for people to put money into an opportunity today is still tax eradication. We just raised money on a triple net lease, which is a cash flow asset that's got a lot less tax benefit. And most people didn't want to get into that because the tax benefit wasn't as high as if we go into a multifamily asset. Like a multifamily asset, you can get about still 65, 70% of the amount of money you put into the deal as a K-1 loss for year one. The triple net lease, it's going to be closer to 20, between 20 and 30% of what you put in is going to be your tax loss. So you invest in the different things for different reasons. And I'm not really that familiar with oil and gas. I'm starting to get a little bit of education in that space because I'm looking to probably park a little bit of money in that area. But until I understand it, I'm not going to put my money into it. I understand multifamily. I understand how that works. We're working on a couple opportunities right now. We're 
chasing a huge deal. We might even be able to get close to one and a half to two X depreciation because the deal is large enough and we're bringing in some private equity that can't take the depreciation so we can pass that along to our limited partners. So we're chasing the deal right now for that. And we're also chasing another triple net lease, which is more like cash flow. Yes, what right now interest rates are up. So your savings accounts are going to pay four and a half, five percent. And but right now you can still get into into triple net leasing where you're going to lock in your five, six, seven percent cash on cash returns. Then they start literally, literally, we just closed on a deal the 17th of July and I already got a payment. Wasn't it a Starbucks or something? That doesn't, uh, that, this one was called the learning experience. Okay. Starbucks was about three months ago that we did, but the learning experience, we closed on the 17th of July. So from the 18th to the end of July, those 14 days, we got the rest of that rent. So we already got the rent and we paid 100% cash for the property. So that distributed immediately. So we're not dealing with lenders, insurance companies or anything. The company that's renting from us is paying for all of that. So we don't have anything to do with all the, let me rephrase, all the cash that comes in on that opportunity flows back out. We're not, there's no reserves required. There's nothing because we own the property 100%. Yeah. And so people aren't aware if you have a bank involved, they're going to make you hold a certain amount of money to fix an air conditioner or a reserve fund, just like you'd have a reserve for a business. They want to see you're holding some cash. So you don't always get all the money flowing to you. So it sounds like Mike and the partners bought it outright, just like you go buy a building and you just you write, write a check for it. And it's yours. There's no bank involved. And then on the, on the multifamily side, with the interest rates going up the way they have, a lot of the cash flow from those assets has pretty much dried up. I'd say 40% of the 29 deals that I'm in are still cash flowing and we're still getting uh, quarterly uh, distributions. But the rest of them, a lot of people are holding onto the cash right now because they're thinking, okay, we're gonna have to buy another rate cap. What if the rates go up again and I have my payment increases? So a lot of people are holding onto cash to actually protect the investor's money that's in the deal so that we don't have to do a capital call or lose the property back to the, the lender if we can't make payments. Yeah. The mortgage payment, and, that and, is. And that's a prudent thing to do. And for people who haven't invested in in these type of things, but there are business owners, if, you know, your business is doing well, but you see some clouds in the uh, the future, you're going to maybe not not buy that extra piece of machinery or not take as much out personally. You're going to kind of leave a little war chest in there. So the people that operate these investments and these apartment complexes are maybe building a little war chest just to make sure that things will be okay if something you know comes along and you want them to do that would you rather get a check for a few hundred bucks every every few few months or whatever or you'd rather make sure that the people operating investments have the cash they need to make the right decision because i think of all business owners you know if, if you're cash poor you make a different decision than if you have enough money to make the right decision and you want them to to have the right amount of money to make the right long-term decision. You don't have to be desperate just because you got you know, a little cash distribution. The cash distributions are great, but really you should be thinking as the exit. What What's the total return on this investment after five or seven years? And don't invest for those, those quarterly small checks. If they come, it's great. If they don't, just realize they're probably being held um, for a, a later date or something unforeseen that might be coming up, which it's a business. You're investing in a business. It's no different than if you invest in a stock, I mean, they, they have dividends and they, they may or may not output them based on how the company performs. These are companies as well. So it's actually, it's not totally a bad thing if you're not getting into a distribution, as long as you know why. 
and why they're doing it. So triple nets, more of a cash flow play where you're buying it. Anyone that's a business owner probably knows what a, a triple net is. Basically, the tenant is responsible for damn near everything with that building. And the landlord is very, very hands off as, as beyond. Maybe they're covering some, some general insurance and some exterior cleanup costs and things like that. But triple net, typically they cover everything, which is a good thing, as, assuming you have a good tenant. So it sounds like you're investing in Starbucks and learning centers. So big franchises that they have whole teams that know how to take care of their, their triple net leases. So you're basically just holding, holding the building. So that's cool. Absolutely. Anything else you're looking at? I mean, I think, I think at one point you said mobile home parks are self-storage, right? There's nothing off the table, but I'm looking for more tax advantaged plays right now because we did have an exit and we have a tax burden that's going to be coming coming uh, real soon in the next six months. So we're looking for some higher yielding tax plays. We actually have a meeting next week with a CPA that does film investing, investing in films to be made. And I was told, and I, I can come back to this later when I actually have the information in front of me, but a hundred, I could put $100,000 into a movie and get a $1.5 million K-1 loss based on the way they finance the movies. Wow. So I'm looking into that. My CPA is like, yep, I've, I've heard of it. I don't have any of those, uh, those opportunities. So we're actually talking to another firm that has done a, a number of these. And so we're looking at that as an opportunity. And if I can get a, a huge loss for a small amount of money in, that's going to save me a $1.5 million uh, K-1 loss will save me approximately a half a million dollars in taxes. And so that's that's huge for me on my tax bill. Um, because multifamily right now, you're not getting that that kind of a delta for the amount of money you put in. So the, even if I don't make any money on the movie down the road, the savings to me today is incredible. Wow, that's the huge, I've never heard of a multiple that high. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> it's, right, and it, it came to me from another mastermind. Uh, all they do is investing. Got it. And for people that, just to explain what a K-1 is, it's that tax document you get from any investment, and it kind of shows how much money you made. It also will show how much money you lost. But we have to remember that it doesn't technically mean you lost that much money. It just means on paper that there was a bunch of depreciation or losses that kind of flowed through. And as business owners, we, I hopefully everyone is in tune with their finances enough with their businesses that they understand the difference between a paper loss, which basically means just you know, you depreciate something, it's worth less, something you own is worth less, and you can flow through and basically say that you didn't earn that much that much money on, in cash. It's, it's so hard to explain depreciation and how it actually works. But you just realize a K-1 loss doesn't mean that you actually lost that money and your investment's never coming back. It just means whatever asset they bought got depreciated and it's flowing down to you. It's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have a loss, assuming the investment is a good investment. Yes. Obviously, you don't want K-1 losses that they're literally just losing money forever, but typically it's attached to an asset. So it, it's, it's a good thing to have. It will affect your income. If That's what I ran into, actually, when trying to get a mortgage, is that sometimes you, you have to go to the right bank to have them realize that, or their underwriters will underwrite it knowing that, hey, that's that's not actually a bad investment. He's losing money on this. These are just K-1 losses that are coming through. It's kind of funny. I had to change banks because of that reason, because they just didn't know. <laughs> they, they couldn't understand why I would be investing and losing all this money. It's like, you know, you guys, this is, these are, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. But 
Anyways, would you keep reinvesting in your business like you did before? I like every other year we would reinvest in new vehicles for the business because we, 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 I had, I needed a truck to pull our trailer. So every other year I'd get a new truck or whatever, because you could actually depreciate the truck all in one year and write it off on your taxes. So we were using every, almost every angle we could in our business to elevate the business and make sure it was safe and secure and take the biggest tax advantages we possibly could legitimately in the business. So I always reinvest in what I do. I just think I reinvest in my education on a regular basis so I I can be around people that know more than I do. So then if I come into certain scenarios or situations, I'm not going at it alone trying to figure it out by myself. I try to find people that have gone before me and learn from their mistakes so that I don't create the same mistakes moving forward. So I'm always reinvesting in my my personal education. So that, that I think, I think that's a good thing. And, and reinvesting in what you're doing is always a great, op- a great opportunity to learn more and grow faster in your business. Yeah. I look at what I've spent in the last year, year and a half on <laughs> masterminds and seminars and groups like that. And I wish I had done it earlier. They're big numbers. And when you're first doing it, you're like, Oh, like, you know, I'm going to spend tens of thousands of dollars on this. And like, how is that a good investment? Basically, I should go put it in stocks or something or go have fun with it. If I had done some of this stuff 10 plus years ago, it would have more than paid for itself. And the knowledge I had around taxes, I probably would have done different investments. I wouldn't have maybe started one of the companies I started. And instead, I probably would have taken that extra money and gone this direction earlier and I still would have invested in my company. I would have known I had a different option as opposed to, I don't know what to do this money. I just need to keep growing this company. I need to keep growing this company and make more money. It's the only option I have. This is all I know as opposed to, okay, maybe I'll split that number in half. Half I would grow my company with and half I'm going to go in an alternate direction buying real estate or investing in different ways. And I think that's the biggest thing I'm trying to push out there to business owners that were like me that had hit that success point and now we're trying to like, do I double down? Do I start another? Co- so I ended up starting multiple other companies. I was trying to expand my income and diversify and ended up just building more companies that I was locked into making sure they succeeded. And that's why I asked, like, would you continue to reinvest in your company like you did if you knew what you knew today? Or would you maybe not have invested all the money back into it and peeled some off to go another direction? I, I feel like a lot of business owners, you love your company, but man, that is your only thing and you're screwed if you don't keep it alive. And it's like a good thing because it's making great money and you, you feel successful and you built this thing. But same point, like, I can't step away from this thing. I have no other, I can't back down. I can't take my foot off the throttle because I got nothing else that is my, I have no other source of income, basically. And, w- and when I learned that, you know, millionaires and billionaires and people that are truly wealthy and even not, you know, even if you're worth five or 10 million bucks, they typically will have lots of different sources of income and that's something I wish I knew 10 years ago. So me too. Yeah. Some of the millionaires and billionaires that have been in the same room or spoken to groups like we've attended in the past. Um, they always have five to seven to 10 different sources of revenue. So they're not always dependent on one, but they always have their one main thing that got them to where they are. But then once they got where they're at, they've, they've figured out, I have to diversify and figure out how I can take what I've made, put it into other 
I'm going to call them investment vehicles. So then those things are making money while you're still making your regular money. And that's how you really start to multiply your wealth. You don't multiply your wealth by putting it all into a savings account, making one tenth of 1%. I mean, even at Chase today, and I'm a Chase client, their regular savings that's attached to their my checking account makes one tenth of 1%. I'd have to go to their investment advisors to move into a high yield savings to get the four and a half percent I should be getting on my savings account. So I literally have no money sitting in a traditional bank account anymore. It's sitting in high yield savings or some sort of a federal muni thing where I'm getting tax-free uh, income from it. And so they don't teach you that in school. They teach you to save your money, put it into a 401k, one day you'll retire. And if you Google the the benefits and the, the discrepancies of investing in a 401k, there is so much information out there. The 401k was created to help Wall Street make more money. It wasn't created because they, they the government cared about you. They gave you the benefit because Wall Street bombarded Congress to create this tax-free vehicle. You can put money in tax-free and we'll grow it. But at the same time, all these people on Wall Street that are managing them for you are taking fee, 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 fee out of it. And it's an amazing way to get money out of your business and a, and a tax benefit, but it's also a way, if you do it the right way, you can actually take that 401k and invest in things you want. It, but you can't typically do it when you're working for a huge company because their 401k goes into a specific plan. That's a, that's probably a topic for a whole nother uh podcast, but I continue to invest all my funds and I invest in myself. And I wish I'd have done that sooner. I'm 55. I didn't start investing in myself and my future education till I was 50. So for now, I, if anybody asks me what, where, what events I go to, who I, who I look up to, who I want to educate me to, to level up, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them because I, I want them to be able to go to those same sources at a much younger age. So then they're further ahead when they get to be where I'm at in my age. What would be one you would suggest? Like if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, okay, I'm listening to a podcast, but I want to, I want to go to something in person, right? It doesn't have to be a name of a particular venue or a particular person that puts it on, but like, what do you go looking for if you don't want to be active? I just want to be passive, but I want to know more than just podcasts. I want to meet people. Like, I actually don't know the answer to that because I haven't looked for that direction. I'm, I look, I'm looking for active. I'm, I want to make this my job, but if you're just passive. You can still go to those events, I guess. You can still go to those events. Uh, I look at personal development. I I want to learn from, you can Google who's the best at X, who's great or ha who's had very great success in multifamily investments, who's had great success in triple net leasing. And not that you need to work with them specifically, but go listen to what they say. And then your friends or family that are doing these sorts of investments or people you find that introduce these to you, are they saying the same things that the gurus that have been doing it or have gone way before are, are, are saying the same things? So it's not necessarily a name or a thing, but it, it's just getting the education and learning what to look out for so that when you do put your money into an opportunity, you know the person you're putting it with and you trust they're doing it because they're doing it the same way the others have done it that have gone before. Yeah, that's true. If, if you just, it takes some time, but if you research, listen, you'll start hearing the same messages over and over again. And that's usually the right message. If there's some outlier guy, it kind of makes sense. Like y'all, you also hear multifamily versus single family, that argument as well, but it's pretty consistent. I would say as far as what the advantages and disadvantages are, they'll say single family is hard to scale. They'll say that it doesn't have efficiency side of it. 
the pro sides of those people will say it's easier to get into. You have, if you want a job, you can <laughs> you you can do single family if you want to you know deal with that. Um, I haven't really heard anyone that is pro single family if you want to scale it. Have you? There's a few guys there, out there pushing that. There's a few guys out there that push it. They're doing it on a, a scale of a huge two, scale. three, yeah. four, five hundred homes, and they have a whole team, and they buy in specific geographic regions. It's not you like you can scale a single family portfolio all over the U.S. because there's no way you can have somebody renting and maintaining those properties for you on that kind of a, a, a deal. So it's more regionalized. Just find your. Uh, a standard metropolitan area and you could probably go 20 miles in that circle and then you buy 10, 15, 20 homes. And that's probably something you could manage and you can, that could be your full-time gig and you could become the real estate professional doing it that way. And that might be easier to get into, but once you get over a certain number of properties to get bank loans for this, you have to actually put them into a, a, an LLC and make it a commercial kind of an opportunity. And so the lending becomes a lot different. Yeah, that's true. That definitely is true for single family because they're still looking at you when you're buying these single family investment properties. And then once you, like you said, you, you get to a higher number. Now there's looking at you like as if you were buying an apartment complex as a commercial loan. So why don't you just go buy the, the efficient, the efficient uh, apartment complex anyways. So right. cool, Mike. Well, it was great to hear from you. And I, I love having business people on here and I'm going to do more of this for sure. Is there anything else you want to tell people or definitely how they get in contact with you and your company? Absolutely. So for me, for 2023, 2024, and 2025, the, the thing I want to be the most is I want to be available. I have friends that are in this business that you can't get a hold of because they've gotten to be so big, but I always want to be the one that, that you can get a hold of me. So my words are, I want to be available. And to prove it, I want to give you my cell phone. It's 509-270-6701. You can text me. We can always hop on a call. If you want to learn more, if you want to get into the ATM space, you want to learn more about multifamily investing, triple net lease investing. I'm going to know more about oil and gas probably in the next 60, 90 days because I'm really starting to do dive into that. So that you can always text me at 509-270-6701 and we'll hop on a call. Or you can, if you want to do it a different way, we can send me an email. Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at Pacific, like the ocean, PacificCapitalLLC.com. That's Michael at PacificCapitalLLC.com. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, we'll put in the show notes. And for, for people that don't know, like Mike is connected with a lot of good operators. And because he raises money, he can say yes or no to a lot of people. So it's always good to the person that raises the money. The person with the money has has the power basically. So Mike is known that he can raise money for deals. So he can basically say, I want to raise money for that good deal, but I'm not gonna raise money for that one. He's in demand, I guess you would say. So when you're in demand, you you can pick better deals. So that's my my little pitch for, for, for Mike for sure. Um, I've only known him for about a year, but his name always comes up and he he delivers so people want to work with them so he gets he, he gets to basically pick who he wants to work with which is a, a great spot to be and i'll be there yeah. someday but uh absolutely awesome, mike well i thanks for coming on i think you had a lot of value to business owners for sure and we're going to tilt this podcast a little more this direction so have a great day dude yep. appreciate thank it thank you so much take care